While building God's kingdom in Turkey, Brother Lance has been reminded what it truly means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. He calls us to be people who give up comfort. He calls us to be people who understand that we may not have a place to lay our head. He calls us to be people who really should consider it a, um, a gift from him if we do face some level of persecution. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Voice of the Martyrs Radio. We are actually on the road this week recording uh, in the country of Turkey, which happens to be one of my very favorite countries. Uh, love every opportunity I get to visit here. And we're going to be speaking with Brother Lance today. He's one of our guests who we won't use a last name. Uh, we'll simply call him Brother Lance. He is a gospel worker here in the nation of Turkey. Uh, he served here for almost a decade. And we're just going to talk about his work. We're going to talk about what it is like to live and work in the Muslim world, uh, to try to find doorways to share the gospel message. So, Brother Lance, welcome to Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you. It's an honor to be on the radio with you today. Tell us about your call to come and serve in the Muslim world and how God worked on your heart and said, hey, I, I don't just want you to go for a few months. I want you to go live there and be there and be a lighthouse for the kingdom. Yeah, well, I uh, originally worked as a youth pastor, and while I worked with teenagers, I felt my role was to mobilize them to go overseas. And so I took them on trips, gave them opportunities. But as I became more aware of the unreached nations of the world, I felt this, this, this huge desire to be a person who went myself because I saw that if I went, there would always be more people that could fill my role back in the U.S. And there would always be more youth pastors. There would always be more people that could invest in our young people. And I felt one of the key steps was to follow God's leading in our lives, my, the life of myself and my wife, to go overseas among unreached people. That was a specific one because I kept also coming into contact with people that would come into our church who they had an option of a church down the street. They have an option of somebody else that would be able to take the gospel to them. I was blown away by the fact that in reality, living among unreached people groups, I could actually share the gospel with somebody who would never, ever hear the gospel if I had not shared it with them. That was probably one of the key things for leading myself and my family uh, over to an unreached country. So you, you experienced that call. You came to a place, uh, really an unreached place. Um, when you first got here, what were some of the challenges um, just right off the bat that you kind of maybe wondered, okay, Lord, did you really want us to be here? Well, everything was just difficult. Uh, go to the store, you don't know what anything is. You, you, anything you do, it was all a lot of work. There was nothing that was not work. So we don't, we don't usually understand how much of life is, is complicated when the most simple task, you feel like a child. You feel like you're once again become an infant. You want to communicate with people, you can't communicate. Everybody looks at you and thinks, well, who is this weirdo that doesn't understand how they can't talk? And so you just feel like a fish out of water in so many ways. And I think in our minds, we romanticize how quick that will go and that people will just kind of like warm up to us and think, oh, you're just a nice person that's trying to learn a language. But there was no way to communicate that. So it was, it was just a challenge and that everything was a lot of work. 
and I think that's that's a key thing for people to understand. I mean, we're not talking about the challenge of sharing the gospel. We're talking about the challenge of getting your groceries on a weekly basis. This is something you have to get past before you can get to the point of sharing the gospel. And like you say, that can be overwhelming. How do you prepare? Because I know a part of your work is having interns and uh, you're leading a team here, so you're bringing in new people. How do you prepare them for that mindset that, hey, we're going to be like a fish out of water for a while? That's a, that's a great question that we really continue to wrestle with because we, we, there's a lot of great tools out there, but the thing is, is people can have tools, but at the same time, it seems like the most important uh, aspect for us to prepare is our own hearts. So I think we do a lot to try to help people prepare their own hearts. How well do they do with change? How well do they do when they don't have control of situations? Uh, and and then making sure that they have enough of a support structure around them that also has walked through the same thing. Uh, so that's that's another part of it, is just trying to create structures that are just appropriate for, for people when they come into country uh, as well. So how long did it take after you got here before you felt like, okay, now we can actually think about gospel work? We've, we've kind of got our feet on the ground. We've kind of got things figured out. How long was it after you, you know, stepped off the plane until you came to that point? Uh, well, you know, that's really funny because uh, it varies so much per, from person to person. I thought I was ready when I was uh, probably about six, seven months in. I was ready to kind of start testing my ground with it, but I was nowhere near ready. Uh, I started to realize, looking back at it in retrospect, probably about three-year mark, that it was kind of like, okay, I really feel like with confidence I can kind of engage in more of a real spiritual conversation with somebody and, have, and speak intelligently to some level. And how much of that was language learning and how much of that was just feeling comfortable, understanding the culture, those kind of things? More of that was language at that point. Now, as the years go, that's where the sharpening of, of understanding the culture and understanding, okay, when I say this, that word might mean this, but that, what does it really mean? And uh, to get the real intonation in there to, to really communicate with people on their level. What's your work like? I mean, what do you do on a week-to-week basis uh, in your work here? My work has changed from season to season in terms of ministry. Uh, it starts kind of more on the level of trying to get out and connect with neighbors, connect with people that are friends of other friends, and just spending time with people. That's really probably the key in all of it. Spend time with people, interacting with people, not a program, not a written out Bible study necessarily that I have to, even though I might have one in mind, there's nothing written on paper most of the time. It's just go spend time with people. So with somebody who is not a believer yet, we're spending time with them and trying to engage, get into spiritual conversations, trying to lead that conversation in a way to see where God's working in their life. For those who are, who are already professing believers, spend a lot of time just encouraging them, not understanding really most of the time how much encouragement a brother or sister in Christ in this area of the world needs because they are so alone in many times. Uh, many of them, if they don't have fam- believing family members, we are basically the only family they have, a few other believers that they can connect with. So just spending time with people and really just encouraging their heart, connecting with them on the real human level in order to really be able to speak the life of Christ into them. And I think from our American perspective, it's hard to even get a hold of that because we're so schedule oriented and we've got to do this and this got to be accomplished. And how, how did you bring your American mindset of all those things into that culture where it really is, let's just spend time together? I, I don't know how I've, I, I think constantly have to switch back because we do a lot of things to evaluate. How are we doing? 
just sat down with our team this last week to evaluate. How did we do last year? We're looking at our numbers like Americans. <laughs> and we're, we're trying to evaluate, are we hitting our mark or not? And in one level, it stings because your numbers aren't really anything real impressive. But on the other level, you can look back and say, unless we're really counting hours that we spent with people, it's hard for that to show up. So I think it's this constant almost, in one sense, dying to ourselves, just to say, my, it's not that my life has to show that I've accomplished all this. I just have to sow into people uh, rather than being concerned that all of everything that I do shows up as a result that I've done something. Yeah, I think the issue of just being faithful here, here we are day by day being faithful. Ultimately, you know, we'll see fruit at some point. Maybe we'll look back and see fruit. Um, talk a little bit about because you mentioned a, someone comes to Christ, they don't have believers in their family. What's that like for them as far as the pressure from their family members? Or how, how does a family respond if you know, our, our college-age son decides all of a sudden he's going to be a Christian now. Uh, what, is, what is he likely to face from his parents or brothers and sisters in community? Well, what they face is they face being ostracized, which is a very, a very challenging thing. For this culture, Middle Eastern culture, a lot of the Islamic culture, the relationship of family is very important. The relationship of people you've spent life around, even, you know, close friends of the family, those are very vital relationships. So if somebody becomes a Christian and that is obvious to the people around them, then they are oftentimes treated as if they don't have a family. So that becomes the challenge as a, as a cross-cultural worker. Do we, then, do we then become their new support structure or how do we help them maintain some level of that? But most of the time what they face from their family and friends is people pushing them away saying, well, if that's what you are, you're no longer accepted within this family. So would that be move out of our house get away from us we don't want to see you anymore or would it just be kind of we don't really like you that much but well you'll have a lot of varieties of experiences from some that i've seen the the family members will just for one thing they just don't have anything in common with them anymore so they feel like there's this part of this life that they have to either hide or the most important part of their life that nobody in their family wants to talk about so they have no encouragement in it and so that's probably what they face the most is just lack of support and encouragement. And that usually is okay for the first year or two years, but it's as time goes that it becomes a huge heavy weight upon their heart. And they just really, uh, you think about how much encouragement we get from our brothers and sisters in Christ when we go to church on the weekends or Bible studies we're involved in. Imagine not being able to connect with anybody for, for a longer amount of time and how much weight you would, would have. That's a lot of what they're facing. Now, typically, when you see someone come to Christ, are they able to lead other family members to Christ? There's, that question is loaded with a lot of strategy that a lot of us are working on today. There's the, our ultimate desire is to see a lot of people come together in groups. Right. So they make decisions to follow Christ as a group, as a, as a, a collective group, and where they are not being ostracized like that. So they're stronger, they grow in their faith better. But what we have seen so far here in Turkey is the majority of the time it just seems like it's individuals. So we're trying to find other ways that we can share with groups more, not just uh, with individuals, other ways that we can involve the groups as quick as we can as we're sharing our faith. So rather than thinking I'm just going to get one person to come to Christ, I'm trying to think, can we do that? Uh, so far what we're observing is that as there's how that works for us as foreigners sometimes is that we might be able to share with somebody as an individual a little easier than we can with whole groups. But then we're trying to encourage the believers that we already are working with and discipling, trying to encourage them to share with groups and include that because it's more natural for them in that case. 
how hard is it for you to move a conversation in a spiritual direction with some of these friendships that you're developing, your neighbors? Um, in, in the Turkish culture, is that something people talk about a lot or is that a real taboo subject? How, how easily does that conversation happen? I think it's pretty simple to turn a conversation spiritual here. Partly because I'm a foreigner, sometimes people will just ask me questions about it. They'll, they'll, they'll just assume I'm Christian, they'll assume I'm something else. So spiritual things will come up. But it's not a taboo subject at all. It's really quite normal to talk about spiritual things and what people believe. So our work actually comes to the place of trying to not come across being so different that the walls go up immediately and people don't want to hear anything we have to say because they've heard so many lies about it. Uh, so that's what we're trying to do is to do it in such a way that it's not taboo but also to bring up things that, that speak to the heart of where people are in ways that they're used to. So what would be a typical question that they would ask? Hey, uh, you know, this is Brother Lance. He's my American friend. He's probably a Christian. I want to ask him what? What would they normally ask? Well, they're probably not going to ask a lot of questions of curiosity about my faith so much. They're going to not ask questions but more statements. They'll make statements. Oh, you guys, you guys believe this. Uh, the Bible's been changed, though. So the accusations, which anybody that's right. that's heard much, that's a very common right. accusation throughout the Muslim world, is that we believe the Bible's, you know, the Bible we believe in has been changed. Uh, so it's more statements made directly towards us. Rather than and is that typically a like they're challenging you to respond to that? You know, you worship three gods. Oh, the Bible's been changed. Are they are they opening a door for you to come back and tell them, or are they kind of testing you out yeah you know i don't think that they're really trying to open the door i don't know if they're they're just saying what they've always heard I, it, unfortunately i think one of the challenges with our work uh specifically here in turkey is that people have been taught a certain thing and it's it's hard to get out of that box of thinking and so we've all been told well where does it say how do you know that that's been changed there's not even room for that dialogue most of the time so how do you prepare the believers that you're working with to face that ostracism, that pressure, as you mentioned, from family members or that isolation from family members, um, even as you're witnessing to them and maybe bringing them to a point of making a decision, you know that's, that's going to be a costly decision for them, probably. How do you, how do you prepare them to face that? I think we do our best to give them a good biblical grounding. So we, when we share our faith, we don't start just with the Gospels. We really try to take them back to Adam and Eve, the problem of sin, the problem of what their unrighteousness is, help them understand what the gift of salvation is, and then see what Jesus really calls his disciples to. He calls us to be people who give up comfort. He calls us to be people who understand that we may not have a place to lay our head. He calls us to be people who really should consider it a, um, a gift from him if we do face some level of persecution. And so we try to help them understand it from the biblical perspective, because if it's just my opinion, then what do I know? I, I don't have to face it like they do. Uh, and so really just trying to get them more of a biblical grounding to help deal with it. It seems to me that some of those biblical passages would have a lot more resonance in the Turkish culture even than in the American culture. When, you know, when they talk about you are going to suffer, Americans, that doesn't hardly even register. We kind of let that one go. But it seems like for them, that would be like, oh, wow, this is talking to me. 
Yeah, and you know, one of the things that's been surprising for me is before I came here, I, I pretty much always put every believer that lived in some type of a persecution-type context up on a pedestal and forgot how human they were. And uh, as I face some of my, my friends day in and day out, I realize how much their feelings are just like mine. And it's not their choice. To them, it's a choice of following Christ or not, basically. And if they follow Christ, and these are the things that could happen. But when they read some of those scriptures, sometimes some of them have been kind of like, well, you know, I'm not Paul. Why do I have to face it like that? You know, I'm just your average person. They don't see themselves as anything different. And uh, I think that's the thing I remind myself all the time is that this is a person who's no different than I am. I just have to be here as his brother to help encourage him. And I think that's good for all of us to think about because we do tend to romanticize uh, these persecuted believers who think, oh, wow, they're, you know, really heroic in their faith. And but just like you say, they have days when they're like, Lord, I, I can't take this anymore. You got you to gotta take this off my shoulder. Well, one of the things we ask ourselves oftentimes is, as the intercultural worker coming into another context, is to say, what, what is one of the things we can do that does not cause problems, does not cause heartache, hurt, or anything, all the dependency issues, all the other things that can get so complicated in intercultural work, is that of encouragement. We can bring encouragement. And... Uh, and that is that is the key. So they are there's there's some super people. They're having they're have they have no choice but to mature at a level that many of us don't have to mature. But that process does need to involve us standing right beside them, cheering them on, and and being a part of the the body of Christ that is saying we love you, we care for you. So that's I think that's an amazing thing for them to know that they have people around the world that are praying for them. I think that also is an encouragement for our listeners because that's one of the things we want to equip people to do is to pray effectively for. Christians in these contexts where they do face those challenges. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a couple of minutes. We're talking today with Brother Lance. He is a gospel worker in the nation of Turkey, uh, has been serving here almost a decade. Brother Lance, I know one of the parts of your work here also is to have uh, young people come and serve short term, uh, kind of getting a taste of what it's like to work in the Muslim world, getting a taste of what it's like to work in gospel work uh, overseas, uh, what are some of the things you see in those interns? Uh, maybe some of the good things and some of the things you're like, oh man, uh, you you wish you could see a little differently. Yeah, some of the great things I see with them is uh, they have excitement, they have a life ahead of them still, they know it, and uh, they're they're not afraid. They've already taken the step of coming for a couple of months and spending time with us, so they're they're really wanting to make their life count. I think that's really what's driving a lot of them. And so I, I just love the fact that they're coming in with a passion, a desire to step out of their comfort zone and to do something to make an impact on the world. Uh, one of the challenges we run into is that uh, one of the key things we're needing people to do is to disciple people. And so it becomes a discipleship issue. Is some of the young people are coming and very few of them have even been discipled. So we really love to see more students be discipled and to disciple other people. While they're here, one of the things we really believe is very important is their own spiritual growth. And so they have to come into it not thinking about what they're going to do for everybody else and how they're going to save everybody else and, and make an impact here. Uh, we help them understand that this is going to be a key for you to taking some more steps to grow in your own spiritual walk as you step out of your comfort zone. It also it just gives us validity. Our pe people around us know that we work with students and that we have them coming in doing internships of various sorts. And so they just need to know by their presence here that it helps, it helps our work. And so we try to go through it in a way that they are actually helping our long-term work. 
And another thing we really hope students will get out of it is just some practical understanding of what it is to really live and work in a Muslim nation, in a context. And for them to see and experience that it doesn't all happen really quick. And there's a lot of foundations that go into it. And uh, we also really hope that while they're here that they really gain a heart for prayer, understanding that that's where we will see Muslim nations change. We will see that as more people are praying, we will see that the spiritual climate will change as well. There's a huge darkness over the Muslim world, but when we see the light of Christ come in, that's when things change. And so if they can understand more than anything else that the greatest work is through prayer, then we feel like that's a victory for us as well. And the great thing is they can be full-time prayer warriors not on the field, when they go back to college, when they go back to whatever, they can still be one of those prayer warriors that's lifting up your work. Certainly, I think it's a both and. I think for them to understand they, that it's not just a select super few that can pray, but all of us are called. We, what we do is we, we've caught this from other people along the way too. We just call it extraordinary prayer. Whatever you're doing now, you take those extra steps to pray more than what you do now, to pray in ways you don't do now. And we call it extraordinary prayer because it's just extra beyond what we've done. So challenge them in that. But challenge them in the aspect of prayer. They can do that anywhere, but also that of engaging with people wherever they're at. So they're getting to learn what it's like to be the outside person here. So now that will hopefully prepare them to not just go back and say, okay, I'll just pray. No, they can also pray and look around and say, God, where are there people that you're leading me to engage with? I don't always have to go overseas to engage with Muslims. We, we would love to see more do that. But at the same time, as we know, in the U.S., there are a lot of Muslims that are there as well. So engage with them. Engage with them. They're not, they're not bad people who are going to do something really horrible to you. Most of the time, they're just as scared as you were when you were here. Uh, and so you can go there, and you can be a person to build the bridge for them as well. And I want to talk about building those bridges because we that's something we want to encourage our listeners to do is, hey, you know, you have Muslims that work alongside you at your company. You have Muslim students that are at the university with you. Uh, you have neighbors who are Muslims. How do we uh, encourage people or how do we coach people to do that, to build those bridges and do that outreach? Because I think, like you say, our, one of our first responses is fear. Oh, wait, no, mm -hmm. I can't do that. Uh, I don't know anything about the Quran, so I can't talk to a Muslim. How do, how do you coach people to take those steps? I think, I think the key, again, goes back to us just being people who love people. So just as people prepare to do work here, when you asked that question earlier, is we have to prepare ourselves. I think the same thing is preparing our hearts to just love people around us, not be afraid of them, not to be afraid of what they might do, but just to engage and ask questions. I, I think that's the key. When we came in, we had to learn how to learn the language, how to learn culture. One of the keys is just asking questions. And I think it's the same thing. In the States, if you see somebody else that's a Muslim, don't assume that they won't ever talk to you. Don't assume they can't speak English. Uh, ask questions. Try to engage with them at the level that they are on, and you'd be amazed at where conversations could go just by simply asking questions that show you care and show that you want to be involved. One of the things you talked about earlier was extraordinary prayer. And as we are praying for Turkey... What are some of those things that, that you would like to see us bring to the Lord and say, hey, these are the needs? Well, you know, we just keep praying. I think a lot of us here are praying that more people just, their hearts would be open and receptive. And just, just keep praying that the lies would be dispelled. So many have heard lies about what it is to believe anything different than what they've been taught. So they don't, whatever people are coming at from their mythological standpoint, whatever terminology they use, at the end of the day, if it's different, people push it away. 
So we would like to see people just be more open to to pursuing Christ, and uh, that's I think that's a huge one. As well, it, we see that that even some of the believers there there's just kind of a disoriented disunity that's that's really prevalent among believers for the most part here. We've seen God work in some great ways there, but we would love to still see some continued dynamics of people to be able to understand we can love each other. We don't have to do things exactly the same way. We don't have to be on the same page, but we are still the body of Christ, and we need to just love each other and give a testimony to the world that we are people who, who do love and care for each other. And we see across the Muslim world this the issue of dreams and visions, people having these supernatural experiences, supernatural encounters. Is that prevalent? among Turkish Muslims as we see it in, you know, other parts of the Middle East? I wouldn't say it's been quite as prevalent, but there are definitely some stories. We've experienced with, with in our team, one or two people that have had dreams or visions uh, that, you know, one guy who, who is still a professing Muslim, but he one day came to a guy on our team and just said, hey, I, you know, I had this dream, and in that dream there was a book that was open and it was illuminated. and. Uh, and he's like, I know that's the Bible. I need to start reading the Bible. So this guy actually, after that dream, started reading the Bible and pursuing and researching. So for us, that's a huge thing for them to even open the pages of the Scripture and start searching. And he was, he was, he was intent then on starting in Genesis and reading straight through. We wanted to give him some advice and to some places to read. And I think he might have quit right about Leviticus and Numbers, somewhere in there. Uh, but, but he also did have another dream after that. So we keep trusting that maybe God will give him enough dreams to get him past some of those, st uh -huh. those stretches that were a little bit more difficult for him. I shouldn't admit this, but I don't much care for Leviticus either, so uh, <laughs> I, can, I can understand that. Brother Lance, as we pray for Turkey, we also would like to encourage people to pray for your family and for the work that you're doing here. Um, how can we pray for you? Pray that we'll have strength to continue. Uh, it's, it's, we've been here now, as you mentioned earlier, just about a decade. And it's long enough to realize that's what it takes to start getting in. But it's also long enough to realize that, um, you know, you have pressures, family pressures, things that keep pressing in on your life. So pray that we would just have the stamina to continue moving forward as we need to. Pray for the people that we're working with here, that we'll have wisdom and how to speak into their lives. And uh, that God would use us to continue to strengthen local people and leaders so that they can carry the ministry forward. We've been listening to a conversation I recorded recently in Turkey with a gospel worker that we simply call Brother Lance. Maybe you just heard his prayer requests and God is stirring your heart to pray. Would you let us know that? You can contact us here at VOM Radio by calling 1-800-757-5069 or you can email us at radio at vom usaorg That phone number again, 1-800-757-5069 or the email address radio at vom-usa.org. Let us know if you're praying for Brother Lance or you're praying for Christians in Turkey. Let us know that you're praying for persecuted believers around the world and that you're listening to their stories here on VOM Radio. When you listen to our programs each week, it helps you know how to pray more effectively for these brothers and sisters around the world who are facing opposition and persecution for their faith in Christ. If you'd like to hear more conversations like this one, you can go to our website, vomradio.net, 
We have our complete archives there. You can also subscribe to the VOM Radio podcast. That's vomradio.net. A few weeks ago, I talked with Dr. Jason Peters about Christians in Mosul having the Arabic letter N spray-painted on their houses. Well, some followers of Jesus here in the United States have picked up on that, and they've made the statement, I am in, a way of identifying with our Christian brothers and sisters in the Middle East. We're going to talk about that, and you can find out how you can get involved next week right here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.